So here we are on Shabbat. Here we are on Saturday. Uh, 99.9% of the ones who have declared that Yeshua or Jesus is their Lord is not at a service today. But here we are, the, the one percenters, the one percent, having a service here on a Saturday. Um, why in the world are you here on a Saturday when the rest of the body of Messiah, or most of the body of Messiah, certainly the extreme high percentage, is kind of doing their own thing today, whatever it would may be, and they're going to come and have their service tomorrow. What draws you, brings you to a Messianic Jewish congregation? I have no idea. I think for different people, there's certainly different reasons. That is for sure. I could even look around and see different reasons. You may have grown up Seventh-day Adventist or in some sort of Christian denomination that celebrates the Sabbath. So this is just a natural kind of progression for that. Uh, Some of you may be related to somebody who caught a vision of what Messianic Judaism is and you just kind of tagged along. Maybe both. Uh, Maybe there are some people who felt uh, something in their spirit from the Lord saying that maybe there is something to keeping the commandments of the Lord. Maybe uh, the things that we see in the Old Testament, the Sabbath, the holidays, and even some more more things than that. Maybe it's not just for them, the Jewish people. Maybe it's a part of my own heritage and something that the Lord is bringing me to. So you come out of a church and you come here. Maybe that is what brought you here. Maybe you are Jewish and you've accepted the Lord and this place is like home because it reminds you of synagogue. Maybe you're a a Jewish guy or a Jewish girl that married a Christian and this is sort of a compromise. That's what brought Susie and I. That's how God suckered me in with Susie. I mean, what other reason? Some people, they really don't care about the Saturday or the Sunday. Saturday, Sunday, Christmas, Hanukkah, Easter, Passover, it means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. You just want to go where you feel the Lord is calling you to go. If he's calling you to go to a church tomorrow, you'll go there. Some people feel passionate about keeping the ways of the Lord, and that's why they're here. So whatever the reason is, the Lord will bring you into a place like a Messianic Jewish synagogue using anything he wants to do, using any excuse to bring you here. So I want to tell you what you are in right now, now that you are here. Yeah, (laughs) big trouble. So, and it doesn't matter if Adonai is going to keep you here for a long time or a short time. It doesn't matter if you are here at Mishkan David to stay or for a day. There is a reality about this thing called Messianic Judaism, which I'm going to share about. Messianic Judaism is not just a Hebrew cultural expression of a church. 
Like you may have cultural expressions of churches. You may have a black church or a Spanish church or a Chinese church, a Korean church, you know, which is essentially just Christianity but with cultural expressions from, from, from a nationality. Messianic Judaism is not just the Hebrew expression of Christianity. Messianic Judaism is a prophetic move of God's spirit. Messianic Judaism is something that God has ordained for the end times that will usher in the return of Yeshua to the world. Because it is related and lockstep and, and, and in unity with the promise of God that Israel will be saved. And the salvation of Israel is connected to the return of the Messiah, the redemption of the world, and his establishment of his kingdom. And the advent of Messianic Judaism in this time is related to that. Paul said in Romans 11, if the rejection of the Jewish people was salvation of the world, how much will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Life from the dead is resurrection. That's the promise at the end of a resurrected body. Yeshua said of the, of the Jewish people, the people of Israel of that time, when they predominantly rejected him, they said, you won't see me again until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That means that Israel will say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they won't see him until he says that, until, until they say that. Now, many people believe that that's going to come first, that they're going to say, Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes. And then he's going to come. Some think that Yeshua is going to come. And as he comes, they're going to say, there he is, Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wherever it is and wherever that lands, it's connected. The coming of the Messiah and the Jewish people recognizing him are linked. And the advent of Messianic Judaism is not just a Hebrew expression of Christianity. It is the fulfillment, ultimately, of what God started in the beginning with Israel. Because God could do anything... And often we wonder this, like, why didn't God wait for humanity, population, to get to a certain point and then just scream out from the heavens, hello? All right, now that you're populated sufficiently, I want everybody to know that I'm here and I'm God and this is what you got to do. And you need to worship me and every other God is a false God and I'm the, hello? Hello? Like, why didn't he do that? And I think so many of us at certain times have said, God, why didn't you just do it that way? Doesn't that make a lot of sense? Well, the one who is wise above all wisdom elected to do it this way. 
because his desire is to make his name great and known throughout the world. But instead of doing a hello, he decided to do it at first through one man, Abraham, after the fall, after humanity fell with Adam. He decided to make himself known to Abraham and make a promise to Abraham that his descendants will be blessed. And then we see Abraham's descendants, the descendants of Jacob, are drawn out of Egypt. God creates them into a nation. He pulls them out of slavery by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Pulls them out of the slavery of the world and calls a nation his own. And calls them his firstborn. The firstborn of all the nations. And the firstborn always gets the blessing in the family and brings the blessing to the family. So Israel is God's firstborn. Designed to have to receive the commandments of the Lord, who he is, what is righteousness. Because we need to know what God's righteousness is. It doesn't take much to look around the world and see without God and people define their own righteousness, it's all messed up. And you could look throughout history, just humanity's history is brutal and ugly. And remains brutal and ugly. We need to know what God's righteousness is. What does it mean from his perspective to do what is right and what is wrong? And he instructed a nation about that. He didn't shout it out to everybody. He decided to start with a nation, Israel, the descendants of Jacob. But it's always not enough to just start and end with a nation, his Fame must go out to the world. So Israel is, was ordained by God to not just be a light to themselves, they must be a light to all nations. Because everybody needs to know God. And everybody needs to know how to live a holy and good life because on our own we're just going to do horrible, horrible things. Humanity is. But it's not just a matter of what is righteousness, an aspect of Torah, a critical aspect of Torah that must go across the world is how to atone for our sins. Because like Stephanie said in the teaching, we're all just going to mess it up. So it's not just about here's how you be righteous. It's also if you mess it up, here is how you, how you are atoned for. Here is how you are forgiven. And the Torah can be done anywhere. I can eat kosher food anywhere in the world if it's offered. You can keep the Sabbath anywhere in the world. It's Saturday somewhere around the world. But atonement in the Torah was only designed to be through the tabernacle, through the temple system, through the priestly system. That's how atonement was made, through sacrifice. It could only be done in one place. So how does the Torah get across the world when the method of atonement has to be designed in just one place? It could not stay there. So God, in his infinite wisdom, wise above all wisdom, 
That was a foreshadow of the real thing, which is Yeshua, who died on the cross and provided atonement. He is the sacrifice. And anybody can believe that wherever you are. You don't have to come to the tabernacle or the temple in Israel to make a sacrifice. All you have to do is receive it by faith wherever you live. So at that point, the message, the Jewish-Israeli-Israelite message was ready to go forth because atonement for the world has now come and is ready to go forth. Before that moment, atonement was just in Israel. But now that he has died, the Lamb of God has died, and his blood makes atonement for us, that message is ready to go forth but it's always a message for Israel. It's their destiny to do it. So even though many rejected Messiah, and not all rejected Messiah, the leadership rejected Messiah, but there are many that believed in Messiah. It says in the book of Acts, look how many thousands of Jews believed, and they're zealous for Torah. So this whole concept that the Jews rejected Messiah is a lie. Some of them did. A lot of them did. But a lot accepted. What the Jewish people rejected in totality, I got to say it, is Christianity. Because Christianity has painted Yeshua into something that he's not exactly. They painted him into something. They brought in pagan things. And they turned him into not the Jewish Messiah, but something that they can more relate to. But the Jewish people do not relate to Christianity for the most part. But the message was a message for Israel. It is their destiny to bring forth the the word to the world. And that happened through Messianic Jews of the first century. Paul, Peter, John, all of these people are Messianic Jews. And they are the ones who turned the world upside down and brought the message of the Jewish Messiah and his ways to the world And it was such a Jewish thing back then that a majority of the New Testament is about what the heck are we going to do with all these non-Jews? Because once God poured his spirit on this man named Cornelius in the book of Acts, the Jewish, the Messianic Jewish leaders of the time had to take a step back and say, what is happening? What is happening? And they realize that God is not a respecter of persons. That his spirit is available to anybody, anybody that believes. So it's interesting that today there's such a separation between the religion of Judaism and the religion of Christianity when so much in the New Testament is uh, is about what are we going to do with the Gentiles? What are we going to do with the non-Jews? It was a given that that, that it was a Jewish faith. It was the fulfillment of what started with Abraham. That Abraham was going to receive the message of the Lord and it was going to go to a nation and the nation would bring it forth. And even though most of the nation rejected it, it was still the Jewish people who were ordained by God to bring it forth. 
fulfilling that calling to be a light to the world. But over time, it became a religious system that the people of God just could not relate to. It became something that was anti-Torah and anti-Israel. And then the church at some point had to make a decision. What do we do with, these, what do we do with the Jewish people? And the Jewish people were sort of, they were, they were just designed by God to hang around as an example of people that were cursed. Right? And the church became the quote-unquote new Israel, and then replacement theology came in, and the church had the belief that they replaced Israel. But the Jewish people persisted. They, they, they're a tough crew. The Canaanites are gone. The, 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 the Hittites, the Schmittites, the, every other ite is gone. But the people of Israel endured. But there was a, a separation between the people of God, the ones that God made the promise to, and then the people around the world who started to believe this thing. And interestingly, God, in his infinite wisdom, wise above all wisdom, he allowed Christianity to perpetuate around the world primarily through military and through coercion. And much of the church and the, the, the Catholic church with the popes, that they were like the political leaders of, of their areas. And you just had to believe, okay, this is what you're going to believe. So, but he allowed it. You can't blame, people could blame Constantine for it. You could blame anybody you want for it. God allowed it. He allowed it. And he allowed 2,000 years of separation between the people of God, who he made the promises to, and the world who's now little by little and over, over the world accepting the Jewish Messiah, even though they don't necessarily see him as a Jewish Messiah. Because Judaism is what they do. But it was never God's intent from the beginning to create two religions. He started it with Abraham, it went to a nation, and it was to go to the world. That's it. But he allowed this thing to happen. But there is the promises in Scripture that if their rejection was salvation for the world, what will their acceptance be? But life from the dead. There's the promise that you won't see me until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes, which means they will say it. And how many times in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, there are promises of Israel's restoration? You don't have to look too hard. You can pretty much open it, shut your eyes, and point. The mountain of the Lord will be the tallest mountain. The law will go forth from Zion. The word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. Ten men from every nation will grab hold of a Jew and say, Show me God, God is with you. The promises are there. And Paul said, Don't boast against the natural branches. Don't boast against them. Remember, the root supports you. You don't support the root. The promise is there. And God will fulfill his promise. As Paul said, the calling is irrevocable. Do you understand that the calling is irrevocable? The calling is irrevocable. 
So now, after 2,000 years of separation where Judaism is doing their thing, and they've done an incredible thing to survive, they took all their laws and their traditions and their histories, and they codified it, and they documented it into this enormous wealth of information, which enabled the Jewish people to stay together as a people group to survive. But now in these end times, we're seeing more and more Christians have an authentic love for Israel. And we're seeing more and more Christians asking messianic rabbis and Jews for Jesus and and organizations like that, hey, can you come to my church and run a, a Passover Seder for us? Where did this come from? This is an end times move of the Lord that is related to the salvation of Israel. It was only about a month or two ago that the Orthodox rabbis put together a statement about Christianity saying, you know what? Jesus is from God. He spread at least the Old Testament around the world. He spread the the, the belief in one God around the world. So we're seeing the, the relations between Judaism and Christianity at a a unity that we've never seen before. It's all part of what God is doing in this time for the restoration of Israel. And I must charge you that there there are people that are in the church that are feeling individual convictions to say, you know what, I want to start keeping the Shabbat, the Sabbath. I want to start keeping the holidays. And they're moving out of the church. I charge you in the name of Yeshua, you are connected to Israel. You are not disconnected to Israel. You are connected to the Jewish people. It is not a separate thing. There are groups out there. There are Hebrew roots groups out there that essentially have an attitude of, we're coming back to Torah, but we do it better than they did. We do it better than the Jewish people. We know precisely the days to keep the new moon on. We know precisely the days to keep the Passover on, and the Jews got it wrong. There is a a, a grafting in. Remember, you don't support the root. The root supports you. Even Yeshua said the Pharisees, who he was very hard on, sit in the seat of Moses. So Do what they do, but don't do what they do. You know what I mean? In other words, what he's saying is if you have a question about how to keep a commandment, they're the ones who who have the answer to that. If you want to know how to keep it, do it the way they do it. But they're doing things that are wrong, hypocritical things, and, you know, wearing things to be seen by men, and all these ways that he was hard on the Pharisees. But he said if you want to know how to keep a commandment, if that's what you want to do, you ask them. The modern-day Orthodox Jews are the, the, the descendants of the Pharisees. The Sadducees went away, and the other sects of Judaism predominantly went away. The Pharisees are the ones who are the, the, the fathers of modern-day Orthodox Judaism. So if you have a question about Torah, this is why we always keep to the, to the Jewish calendar, standard Jewish calendar. This is why in some areas of keeping Torah here at Mishkan David, we just, we do what they do because we're one with them. That's why they do it, because even Yeshua said, just you could, they sit in the seat of Moses, you want to know how to do it, you could go to them. Okay? 
So, that, so we don't do this on our own, but it's something that Adonai is doing. He's calling people out, and yes, at that time, this time, there are groups that are trying to do it on their own, but at the end of the day, there is a grafting into Israel. There is a unity with the Jewish people that God is going to orchestrate. We're not on our own with this thing. We are echad with them. And now it's more of a spiritual thing because not, we don't always have interactions with Jewish people. Maybe we know some. Maybe, you know, we, we don't know too many Orthodox Jews. But it's something that God is going to bring in this end times. And Messianic Judaism, this congregation and other congregations are ordained by God to usher in the salvation of Israel and the return of the Jewish people to the Messiah that they recognize. So whether you are in this thing for, to stay or for a day, this is what you are entering into. It is incredible that Stephanie posted the, um, the, the scripture from Revelation that talks about them on the sea of glass. And then I, I was told that the song that Val picked, the Diamond Turns, references, or, or Paul Wilbur referenced that exact same verse. That same verse was on my heart as well. Because who are the ones in Revelation, who are the ones that sat in the presence? Who are the ones that in that verse defeated the dragon? Who are the ones? It says those that had the testimony of Yeshua and kept the commandments of God. Who else are they? But don't get so excited about that. It also says in Revelation that those are the ones that the dragon comes against. Those who keep the testimony of Yeshua and the commandments of God. I looked at the Greek word for commandments. It's the exact same word that Yeshua used when he was talking like, what is the greatest commandment? He who keeps the least of the commandments. It's the same Greek word that's used. So as it was in the beginning 2,000 years ago, and after it spread and, and, and Christianity took root, the Messianic Jew went away. In this time, after 2,000 years, the Messianic Jew and the Messianic believer who's grafting into this thing has returned to the scene. This is an end times move of God's spirit to bring forth revival, salvation for Israel, which is redemption for the world. So whether you are here to stay or here for a day, that is what you're entering into. And I'm going to close with a little bit of a teaching going into the Hebrew in the book of Ruth. I've shared this before here but not very often. We all are familiar with the book of Ruth. So the Ruth, book of Ruth starts with two characters, Elimelech and Naomi. In Hebrew, Elimelech means my God, king. Naomi has the word, is Naami in Hebrew. The Hebrew for, Na, for Ami in Naami is my people. So we read Elimelech married to Naomi. When we bring it back to the Hebrew, it's God married to his people. That's how the book of Ruth starts. 
They have children, machlon and kilion. Do you know what those words mean? Sick and wasting away. Nice names for your kids. Elimelech dies. Now, God doesn't die, but it, it, it shows a separation between Naami, my people, and Elimelech. It shows a separation. The children die, and Naomi, 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 my people, are, is left completely alone. Completely alone. That's the state of the Jewish people. There's a separation from God. The children who've married Gentiles, which is considered sin, have, they've died. So now we have Naomi, Naomi, Ami, God's people. And we have the daughters-in-law. There are two daughters-in-laws. There's Ruth and there's Orpah. Orpah turns away from Naomi, God's people, Ami, not Ami. She turns away, goes back to her own people, does her own thing. Okay, I'm done with this. Off I go back. But Ruth clung to Naomi. And Ruth said to Naomi, I'm not going anywhere. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. And may God deal with me severely if anything but death separates you and me. That is the heart of Ruth. They represent two Gentile bodies. One of them are pushing Israel aside and doing their own thing. And one is clinging to Israel, Naomi, Naomi, saying, where you go, I go. Your people are my people. In comes Boaz. The kinsman redeemer. Who does he represent? Yeshua. Of the family of Elimelech. Enters into relationship with Ruth, the Gentile who clings to Israel. Ruth gleans from the field of Boaz the Redeemer and takes the, 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 the crops that she's gleaned and she hands it to Naomi. And Naomi's like, where did you get this? Where did you get this? And she goes, I got it from the Redeemer. And it's yours. Here, have it. Very often, grain represents Torah. So if you are a Gentile and you're grafted in and you, and you're, and you have a, 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 an urge and a, and, a, and a sense to keep Torah and you, you're going to give it to the Jewish people and they're going to say, where did you learn that? And you're going to say, from the Redeemer. I gleaned it from his field. But it's yours. Ruth enters into marriage with the Redeemer, Boaz. And they have a child together, and the child is handed to Naomi, 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 Israel. And she nurses the child. 
And thus, Naomi, Israel, is restored. Through Ruth, the Gentile, who clung to her no matter what, and was in marriage with the Redeemer, and allowed all the blessings that came forth from that relationship to go back to Naomi. That is happening in this day, and it will happen. So whether you are here to stay or for a day, God is looking for a Ruth heart towards broken Naomi, the Jewish people. So as we graft in and as we learn Torah and study and at the end of this thing, it's all going to be for them because God's promises are irrevocable. And ultimately, he will restore Israel and they will be a light to the world with Messiah at the center. See, the church is just ready to just leave, to get raptured out. It's all about accepting the Lord and waiting for a rapture. That's not going to happen. The Lord comes down to earth. It doesn't take much to see that. At the end, it's New Jerusalem. It comes down. We don't go flying up to it. It comes down. The Lord is establishing his kingdom on earth. And he will restore the captives of Zion, he will restore Israel. And when you come into Messianic Judaism, it's all about them. It's all about the salvation of Israel. And that is why you're here, whether to stay or for a day. In Yeshua's name, amen.